The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm excited to have the great privilege to preach God's Word this morning. Certainly been blessed in the, in the preparation of it. Um, we are in chapter... Chapter 3 is where we'll be spending our time, verses 1 through 13. Uh, and, the, and the opening of chapter 3, as we are, we are nearing our halfway mark now through this great epistle, the, the, uh, the epistle to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. And the opening of chapter 3 opens with, for this reason, which is an indicator to look back and consider what we've covered before we move forward, and what Paul is laying out for these believers here in Ephesus, and also us who, who look to God's timeless word to be instructed in truth, to live out by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. So to recap some, Paul opened this epistle by taking us to, remember, like the immeasurable heights of the gospel. I mean, you can't reach where he took us. It was just as high as you could go. I mean, the unparalleled description that Paul uh, provides when he speaks of what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wonderful realities of the grace of God towards unworthy sinners. Things of which a lifetime of contemplation would not satisfy the wonder of it all. The overwhelming grace of God in making a people for his own possession, holy and blameless before him. Remember, we get God, and God gets us, and it's all through the work of Jesus Christ, our conquering, risen King, who fulfilled the Father's eternal plan, the gospel of the grace of God. And then once he brought us there, like I can't reach it, but once he brought us there, Paul then, um, he then grounds us, right? He grounds us to who we once were before we were powerfully transformed by this gospel. You know, he, he just levels the playing field, if you will, and puts everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, everyone on common ground. He ensures that no one thinks too highly of themselves, whether Jew or Gentile, free or slave. It doesn't matter, Paul argues. We are all one in Christ. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ, we have become one. Christ Jesus, you know, he, he centralizes all on him, regardless of distinct differences you bear, no matter how strong they are. All races, all nations, all people types, beautiful variety, great diversity, who are all under grace, period. We even had prayer offered up this morning about the beautiful fallen snow and how every snowflake is unique, 
Yet all of them together is beautiful white snow, pure white snow. So it is with being one in Christ. Great variety, but one under grace. All of us under grace in Christ. And this brings us to chapter 3 now, where, where transition is happening towards the implications of it, towards living out the realities of this in the here and now. Okay, applications of it all in the Christian's life in every respect. You'll be seeing this in the weeks ahead. As, as men and women, both in the world and in the church. And also as husbands and wives and as parents and children. I mean, Paul kicks off in chapter 4 with this saying, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And so transitioning to that, transitioning to that, chapter 3 here, in which Paul rounds it out with a prayer before going into his instruction on Christian living in light of the gospel, the grace of God that has powerfully transformed us, What is he drawing emphasis to in verses 1 through 13? Prior to his prayer, the passage in consideration this morning, transitioning from the gospel revealed to the implications thereof, what is he placing emphasis on? Well, I invite you now to stand along with me, pick up your Bibles, and let's read those passages together. A little different sequence. Let's read these passages together to move into God's living word and discover just that. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit." This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with our confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And Father, may I just say, wow, 
as we consider first and foremost, even as those shepherds in, in the Advent, that you would invite us into your story. Not as spectators, but as ones engaged in this mystery revealed. Wow. And as we are transitioning now into the implications of it, like this powerful work of your spirit in us through the gospel, help us, God. Help us hear you through the penned words of Paul to be instructed on and motivated and compelled um, to walk worthy of the calling that you've placed upon us. So I invite you, Holy Spirit, please help me and help one another receive from you. Receive instruction from our living God, from these words of truth. Would you bless this service, this time together, bless the preaching of your word, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, go ahead and be seated. Now, what Paul, I believe, is emphasizing here as he is pivoting towards living out the implications of the gospel, of the grace of God, is this. He says, for this reason, says Paul, and here it is. The Christian is aware of, the, of this gospel power mysteriously at work in them, and that it's for the church. Paul makes this known by giving, re, by giving his readers awareness of three things to reach this conclusion. This conclusion that the Christian is aware of this gospel power mysteriously at work in them and that it's for the glory of Christ's church. Okay? The first thing given awareness to in verses 1 through 6 is the awareness of this power of God at work in us or at work in you. The awareness of it. Or in other words... In other words, the mysterious working of this power of God is evident in your life, both to you and to others. Okay? We'll find this revealed in verses 1 through 6. Note with me how Paul assumes here. Okay? Assuming. You see that in the verse, first verse. Assuming is something, honestly, I aim not to do. Okay, I aim not to do. It's resulted in many bad outcomes by experience. And above all, Scripture warns against such attitude referenced chiefly by warning us not to be, what? Presuming. It's the same thing. Not to be presuming. Psalm 19.13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. I'm innocent of great transgression. To not have presumptuous sins dominating my life. Romans 2.4. Or do you presume 
on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, and assuming or presumptuous attitude is, is one that thinks blindly that all is well because no immediate consequences have occurred. I mean, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous attitude. Dangerous attitude to carry with you in this life. And when it's in the context of your standing before God, the danger of hell type of attitude to have. That sadly, so sadly, many are guilty of. Presuming upon God's grace, his kindness, his forbearance. That's like that long suffering. He's just waiting for that repentance, that patience upon you. To not presume upon that. Not to be done. Or, it can also be having a lofty attitude of self that is, that is just grossly misguided by the blindness of your own limitations and faults. Allow me to say that again. A presumptuous attitude is also having a lofty attitude of self that is grossly misguided by the blindness to your own limitations and faults. Both. Both of these presumptuous sins are great transgressions. And God's word rightly warns against such harmful outlook, which we are wise to heed, that we may keep ourselves innocent from this fault. On the one hand, though, we have Paul here saying, look at verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He sounds pretty confident. When you say, he sounds pretty confident. Listen, as he should be, right? As he should be. I mean, that which he has written about briefly, namely in chapters 1 and 2, but certainly elsewhere in Scripture, is staggering in the insight into the mystery of Christ. Absolutely staggering. I can only imagine what what would be made known of his insight if he wrote at length regarding his insight into the mystery of Christ. I mean, indeed, you guys know this, right? The revelations were so great that God saw it necessary in his kindness towards Paul to keep him from becoming conceited as a result of the revelations given to him. God wisely saw it necessary to give Paul, a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me, this is Paul speaking, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, 
a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Do you see how that was kindness of God to do so? So Paul, being kept by God's grace from becoming conceited, is very much aware of, his, of this power at work in him and knows that it is evident to others as well. Do you guys see that? And before we move from here, a, a question begs to be asked. Are you aware of this gospel power mysteriously at work in you? Are you aware of it? Now, before we expound on that question a bit, allow me to provide you with an example from my own testimony. Growing up, I had a number of passions I gave myself to in full measure. One was soccer. Soccer was certainly one of those passions for many years. But the one that I found myself bewildered by a mysterious change within about was snowboarding. You see, I, I loved snowboarding. Absolutely loved it. it if, if I wasn't on the mountain, I'd be watching snowboard videos over and over again, dreaming of the next time, next opportunity I could be on the mountain. And if I had enough snow locally, if there was enough snow locally, I'd hike a hill, whatever size it was, just a hill, as much as I had the strength to do just to get some turns in, build a jump, and just over and over. I mean, I love the sport. But then it happened. It was a bluebird day on Bachelor, Mount Bachelor, back in the early 2000s. It was deep, fresh powder that had fallen the night before. A canopy of crystal clear blue skies was above us on this calm, very crisp, sparkling, perfect day. Grace was a baby. She couldn't join me, right? Grace was a baby, and Matthew was yet to be born. That was probably 18 years ago then, right, girl? Matthew was yet to be born, and I had this whole day to myself to go and do whatever my pleasure on this stellar day. And pretty early on in the day, this unfamiliar emptiness about the day was was welling up in me for the first time. I recall thinking, what is your deal, Seth? What is your deal? It doesn't get better than this. You should be reveling in your element right now. I mean, wake up, man. Have fun. And in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah. Well, in my heart, there was this undeniable outlook of, this is not what it's all about, Seth. This is not what it's all about. And as I looked at others, in line and, and, or, or on the slopes who were reveling in the moment, like woo-hoo, hoots and hollers reveling, 
I couldn't sound out what was circulating in my head and upon my heart. This is not what it's all about. This moment is brief. These premier conditions are fleeting. They will be gone in a moment. It was such a mystery to me for this to be taking place within. I was absolutely bewildered by it. But deep down inside, I I knew. I knew even in that moment, there was this awareness. There was this awareness of though of it, though I was resisting to embrace it, honestly. I didn't like, nah, but it was there. And I knew, I knew God was at work in me. As one seeking him daily in his word and through prayer, which is what I was doing during that season of life and to this day, what began to take place is I became aware of this power of God at work in me. And still in this day, and therefore all the more seeking to yield myself to it. The enjoyment of snowboarding now has a completely different outlook. I still enjoy it. It's just not even remotely what it used to be. So I ask again, are you aware of this gospel power mysteriously at work in you, and I'll add, would others affirm it? I believe your answer will fall in one of three categories. One of three categories. If your response is resounding, yes, I am very much aware of this mysterious power at work in me. Then praise God and hallelujah, right? I say yes and amen to conviction of sin. Yes and amen to seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, to practicing repentance, to having desires that are not your own. Yes and amen to that, to not loving this world, indeed your own life, but living and giving all for the glory of God to loving God, loving his word and his people who affirm you in this gospel power mysteriously at work in you. Yes and amen to that a thousand times over. And keep seeking him that more of it, right, would abound in your life. No, don't be content. Seek more of it. Seek him. So that would be your first. But perhaps... That's not you right now. And and perhaps your response is that of not being keenly aware of it and having concern about that being the case. To this also, I would say, praise God and hallelujah. I would. The fact that you are concerned about not having a strong awareness of it is evidence itself that the power of the Spirit of God is indeed at work in you. If you are concerned, praise God and hallelujah. So yes and amen to that. 
And I encourage you with all my being to seek God that it may be abundantly clear to you and to others each and every day of your life. Don't be satisfied where you're at if that's the case. But hunger and thirst for his presence in your life continually. Seek him with your whole heart and he will be found by you. And the awareness of his power, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, will become sharply clear. Taste and see his goodness, church. Desire more and pursue more of him, and he will assuredly not disappoint because he promises to deliver. He promises to deliver. And now, thirdly, if your response is that you are unaware of it altogether, just absolutely untogether unaware of it, and you are okay with that, then to this, I would say, take warning, dear friend. Take warning. For my heart is heavy over the condition of your soul. This is not a place to affirm you in. You, for you are in danger of hell and fire if this is you. It's not about how many times you've heard the gospel, how many times you've heard it preached, or even your own ability to articulate it. Rather, the powerful workings of it of the gospel are felt in your gut. You know, war has begun for the affections of your heart. The Holy Spirit has set foot on the battlefield for your soul. And God who wages war on your behalf is working to claim the victory that Christ has already won for your soul. That's what it's about. That's the Christian if the Spirit of God, or excuse me, if the Spirit of Christ is not in you, then you are none of His. Romans 8, 9. And if you are none of His, then God's wrath remains on you and eternity in hell awaits. So please, please hear me. Hear me. I plead with you with all my heart. Be concerned if you are not. Wake up. Wake up. Seek to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior that such grace may be given to become aware of the Spirit of Christ in you, the power from on high at work in you. And in doing so, in doing so, a first, if not the first indicator of this power at work in you this mysterious power of God at work in you, will be your eyes opened to see the gospel of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It'll be the grace of God. It'll be grace. Your eyes of your heart enlightened to see, open to see God's grace. This will be first, a first, if not the first indicator of the power of God mysteriously at work in you. 
for an awareness of your unworthiness will be at the forefront of your mind. That'll be at the forefront of your mind and upon your heart, which is the second thing being made known to the recipients of this letter, along with us here and now in regards to the Christian. Being aware of this gospel power mysteriously at work in them and that is for the glory of Christ's church. The second thing given awareness to in verses 7 through 8 is the awareness of your unworthiness. Of your unworthiness. Or in other words, in other words, trembling conviction over your sin and wretchedness and the overwhelming sweetness of God's grace towards you through Jesus Christ. The gospel. The gospel. We hear this come through the penned words of Paul. Let's go ahead and read verses 7 through 8 once again. 7 through 8. Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To me. Do you hear that undertone in Paul's, coming through Paul's pen? To me. Like, How is this possible? How is this possible? It shouldn't be, but it is, and I am making it abundantly clear that it is all grace. The gift of God's grace, which was given to me, the very least of all the saints. Unworthiness is what Paul is saying. Unworthiness. This is the posture of a healthy Christian. Unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. Yet by faith, a member of, a part of, in the life of the one who alone is worthy. Jesus Christ, worthy, worthy, worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. Worthy as a lamb who was slain. Slain that I may be set free and forgiven my sin. The gospel. That's the posture of a Christian. Fully, heavily aware of their unworthiness. The power of God at work in you makes you aware of this. And church, it should never be forgotten. Never forgotten. This awareness ought never to depart from your mind and heart. And this carries immediately, immediately over to your giftedness, your abilities, things you are able to do. Are are you an intellect? Would you be defined as an intellect? It's grace. That's grace. Are you... Are you skilled with your hands to to fix things or, or to make things? It's grace. That's grace. Are you artistic in any form of the arts? It's grace. 
Are you trained with the skill to operate sophisticated equipment? It's grace. Are you able to expound the word of God with great insight and clarity? It's grace. And the list could just keep on going with the same resounding answer. It's all grace. We have no boasting to offer. I mean, how can we boast in something that is given to us? The very beat of your heart and the breath in your nostrils are a gift from God. And there is nothing, nothing you have or, or are able to do that falls outside of grace. It is God who has gifted and entrusted you with everything you are and with everything you possess. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as, you, as if you did not receive it? Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, this is Paul speaking, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's all grace. And this is made abundantly clear by Paul here and elsewhere in Scripture. And listen, it all exists for a purpose. It all exists for a purpose, a purpose that certainly involves you as a recipient of grace, but it's not about you. It's not about you. And what do I mean by that? Now, you've, you have likely noticed a few verses yet touched on, following through a few verses yet touched on that we have already gone by. And this is okay. <laughs> this is okay, for we now take what Paul has made aware to us in this power mysteriously at work in the believer, in the Christian, and we'll see how its driving purpose is for the glory of Christ's church. You see, Paul weaves this third climactic point from start to finish. The third and final thing given awareness to that is woven through verses 1 through 13 and weighted emphasis most heavily in verses 9 through 13 is this. The awareness of this power at work in you is for the glory of Christ's church. It's being for the glory of Christ's church. Or in other words, the working of this power in you is driven and motivated to build up the church to serve the body of Christ, of which you yourself are a member of and therefore are also being built up both, both by serving and being served by others. Every member ministry is a term we've used here at Pillar Bible Fellowship that speaks exactly of this. Every member ministry. 
each Christian, as individual members of the body of Christ, are each equipped with giftings by Christ to be used in the power of his spirit to serve him by serving one another. His body, the body of Christ, the church, every member ministry. Something we, we affirm to one another is indeed happening here and also in, encourage one another that it, that it only grows and multiplies over time to the praise and the glory of God. Let's look at the passage now and see how Paul saturates all that he is saying as he is pivoting towards living out the implications of the gospel, of the grace of God that has been unpacked in the opening of this letter. Let's see how he's saturated, starting with verse 1. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, on behalf of, right? The, the, the purpose for which I am a prisoner, in essence. It's all for the service of Christ's church. And what is Paul entrusted with? Equipped by God to do? What is the gift of God's grace given Paul to be steward of? Picking up in the middle of verse two. The stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. For you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The gospel power mysteriously at work in Paul bringing these revelations to him, and it's for the glory of Christ's church. What is this mystery, you say? Verses 6 through 7, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel... I, Paul is saying, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. There it is again. There it is again. The Holy Spirit, the gospel power, mysteriously at work in Paul for the glory of Christ's church. He just saturates it all with this. Church, what, what does Paul by the power of the Spirit of Christ, mysteriously at work in him, what does Paul just give his life to? What do we know about Paul? I mean, he's saying it here, but just other elsewhere. Listen to Philippians 2.17. Even if I, Paul says there, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of your faith, your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's all about the faith of the church, to strengthen their faith, to encourage, to multiply it. Pour me out, God. If this, this is why I exist, pour me out. Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Now I, again, Paul speaking here, 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for, for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery. Boy, this is just just like we've been reading, right? The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. That includes you and me, Christian. To his saints. We are the saints of the most high God. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all. Now watch this, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I mean, pow, isn't that sweet? I love that. That's the gospel power mysteriously at work in you. This is what Paul is saying. And is this not what we've been talking about here this morning? And what he says right here again in the closing as to why this grace was given to him. Verses 9 through 13. Let's go ahead and read that. To bring to light for everyone... What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with our confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Church, hear me please. The church purchased by the blood of Christ to be made holy and blameless before him, before God, the Father, was always God's plan. This was always God's plan from the beginning, before the beginning of time. There was never and will never be a plan B. God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, has always been plan A. That's always been plan A. The plan that Christ Jesus executed with precision and perfection. The plan according to the eternal purposes of God that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Plan A, the church who may have boldness and access with confidence to the Father through our faith in Jesus Christ. That which, that which angels long to look into. Like, wow, what is God doing? 
I mean, it's that, it's that much of a mystery and a marvel. Angels are like, whoa, whoa. The mystery of a people purchased by the blood of Christ, filled by his spirit, Christ in you, right? Sanctified by his word, being brought into glory, grafted into the body of Christ to be fellow heirs with him and partakers of his holiness. The glorious, mystical union of Christ and his bride, the church. That through which the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authority in the heavenly places? The church. The church. This has always been the plan. God's plan A from eternity past. The promise, the promise to Abraham, the promise to Abraham was that through his seed, all nations of the earth would be blessed. His seed, that's singular, not seeds, but his seed, which would be a descendant of Abraham, of Abraham's, whom Jesus is, right? Jesus is, and through whom all nations of the earth would be blessed. This covenant promise that came to Abraham, who believed and obeyed God's voice, though he and his wife were childless, childless and far beyond the childbearing age, nevertheless, Abraham believed God, had faith in his promises that God was fully able to do what he said he would do. By faith, Abraham believed God at his word, and it was counted to Abraham by God, counted Abraham as what? As righteousness. As righteousness. A righteousness that depends upon faith. A righteousness that depends upon faith. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. He's that descendant through which this promise would come. And this promise, this came when? When did Abraham do this? Was was this before or after he was circumcised? It was before, right? It came before. Romans 4, Romans 4, 9 through 12. Get ready. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, the Jew, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentile? Paul's posing a question. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, saying he was circumcised, right? As a seal, as a mark or a stamp, you could say, if you will, of the righteousness that he, Abraham, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. You following? The purpose, God's eternal purpose, realized in Christ Jesus, God's eternal purpose was to make him, make Abraham, the father of all 
who believe without being circumcised. Gentiles, Abraham is a father to the believing Gentiles. So that righteousness would be counted to them, to the Gentiles as well. That which Paul is preaching. Remember, that's what we were talking about. Paul preaches this to the Gentiles about the unsearchable riches of Christ. That they, the Gentiles, your fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise, this promise to Abraham, you are in. Abraham believed before he was circumcised. It's a righteousness by faith. He believed God at his word. You're in. This is, you're included through faith in Jesus Christ, believing God at his word. Jesus, the seed, the offspring of Abraham, through whom the blessings come. And so also was God's eternal purpose, God's eternal purpose to make him, make Abraham, the father of the circumcised, those would be the Jews, who are, who are not merely circumcised, that is, in the flesh, but also, also, now listen, who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The footsteps of faith that expresses itself in obedience to God's voice, God's word. This has always been the plan. This has always been the plan. The church the manifold wisdom of God in uniting all things in Christ and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In, in pivoting from these realities, in pivoting from these realities towards living them out in the here and now, Paul places strong emphasis on this gospel power that has given you new life, that's transformed who you are, made you a new creation. It is something you and others are not only aware of and humbled by, but also that the driving force behind it all is to build up the body of Christ. Every God-given faculty of your being is available in God's hands, in your area of influence, to be empowered by his spirit to serve Christ's church at all cost. At all cost. Paul is, is, is drawing his reader's attention to this before he works out the implications of it in daily Christian living. In closing, what does this look like in the day-to-day, in the year-to-year happening, happenings in our lives? Well, whether there is a multitude coming to Christ from the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and boldly living it out, in our lives by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit and all gentleness and respect and humility, people come to Christ or or if persecution comes as a result of it, of the same thing, it's the same power. It's the same power at work by his spirit 
who is, who's either making new life, right? Bringing others into the family of God who are once afar off. Praise God, hallelujah for that. Woo-hoo! Or he supplies the power to share in the sufferings of Christ for the gospel. It's win-win, right? It's one or the other. Either preaching it, speaking it, living it out in faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, conversion, people coming to repentance, people are coming to Christ in the family of God. If a result of that same thing, you are suffering persecution for the gospel, it's the power of God at work. Power of God at work in the suffering, enduring suffering. He supplies the power to share in the sufferings of Christ for the gospel. It's win-win. This is, this is how Paul can say the things he says about suffering. This is how he can say that. I mean, let's just take the last verse in today's passage, for instance. Verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Suffering exposes true colors, does it not? Suffering exposes true colors. Who one really is comes through when suffering. When adversity befalls them and suffering on behalf of that which when you're suffering on behalf of that which the angels long to look into, this mysterious gospel of the grace of God, the church, the manifold wisdom of God, when suffering for the gospel of this mystery, for being a member of and in service to Christ's church, when suffering for this reason, you share in the sufferings of Christ. And all eyes in heaven and on earth, all eyes marvel at such patience and endurance and suffering with joy. For it is brought about, for that is brought about by a power that is not of this world. It magnifies the worth of Christ and exalts his name to the glory of the Father. It is a power not of this world that cannot be witnessed without impact. The powerful gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, the Christian is aware of this gospel power mysteriously at work in them and that it's for the glory of Christ's church. You don't take up Christianity. It takes a hold of you. It takes a hold of you. It picks you up and puts you on a new course. It is a power mysteriously at work in you. God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit, making a sinner, a saint, who is living for the glory of Christ's church. For living for the glory of Christ's church glorifies him who is the head 
of the church. As his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So let's seek. Let's seek to know our head. Seek to know our risen king, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, more and more, that his power in us would have greater effectiveness in our lives for his glory and the glory of his body, the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your church. I thank you that it has always been your plan. Righteousness that depends upon faith. A perfect plan executed with perfection and precision by your son, a risen king, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Father, I I praise you. I thank you for those who would say yes and amen. I am aware of this power at work in me, this mysterious power that that wrestles at times with my soul. There's a, a, a war being raged within. I thank you for that awareness and I pray they would become all the more yielded to and pursued not pursuing the power of your Holy Spirit itself, pursuing Jesus, that the power of you in us, Christ in us, would become more and more dominant, more evident, more effective in living for your glory and the glory of your church. And I pray for, for those who, who there's just a hint of it and there's a concern, a desire for more. I thank you for that desire. God, I pray that they would, with your strength, they would toil to pick up their Bibles, that they would be on their knees in prayer or just while they're walking, whatever they're doing, just seeking to know you. They indeed would become sharply aware of this and others would be able to affirm it to their encouragement and to their further growth and maturity in Christ. May that concern not grow dull and quiet, but only intensify and be transformed into a, into a rejoicing, with a, a joy unspeakable. Father, if there's any here who are unaware of this and are unaffected, God, would you cause them to be affected? Would you cause them to be concerned? Would they have ears this morning and and hearts that would take notice of their dreadful state before you and take those initial steps, those initial steps of faith by believing your word and acting, acting upon it in obedience and pursuing you that they would be given this grace as described here by Paul, this grace of being aware of this presence of you in our lives, to taste and see the goodness of our God. Would you grant such favor and keep us in humility, keep us aware of our unworthiness, 
May that not be a, 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 something that would weigh us down and, and cause us to be discouraged, but just to keep that right posture and confidence in you and trust and rest in your grace and your mercy to give ourselves all the more to fight and to strive and to toil and living this life of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep us very much aware of our unworthiness of who we once were before. And God, as you have equipped each one and continue, even I think of especially the youth who are learning so much at this time of life and be whether it be playing instruments, whether it be intellect, whether it be fixing things, operating things, whatever it is, God, would you communicate to their heart and to mind and to all of ours as far as how we are equipped, the abilities we have, our very lives, to see them as we ought to rightly see them, that they, are your, they, they belong to you, are at your disposal, and joyfully so, that you are such a glorious giver. You are so generous but the generosity received from you is not to be spent on ourselves, but to be spent for your church, ultimately, God, and to re- be recipients of that. May we be Christians who welcome being served, to be such, have a, such a humble heart about us, to like, I, I love being served. I love being blessed by others. May that be such a culture, present and um, growing for Pillar Bible Fellowship. God, thank you for Pillar Bible Fellowship. Keep us diverse and united. Keep us in your grace. Keep us as a pillar and buttress of truth, upholding truth, speaking it and living it out with all patience and gentleness and humility. Jesus, thank you for being our King, our risen Lord, our chief example to look to. That it's, it's not a struggle or a mystery of where to look. We have you chiefly revealed in your word, the word that became flesh. So may we be students of your word. And when I say students, it doesn't have to be ones with with five other books open for concordance or, or uh, commentaries, but just ones who are in your word, who love your word, who, who read it and meditate upon it, who just spend time with you in the pages of scripture. There's a time and a place for that, but that, that which would dominate would be a, a practice of just being with you, delighting to read scripture, to listen, to receive, and to be nourished by the sanctifying truth of your word. May we be such a people where it's deeply hidden in our heart that we may not sin against you. God, I thank you for this time that you've given. Holy Spirit, according to the will of the Father, would you administer the application of the preaching of your word, my heart included, to the praise of your glorious grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.